Tune in for Weekend Talk That Matters, only on KFNX. Welcome. You're at the home front of an important battle. The American family is under assault. From the home front is on the front line of this battle, protecting families, parents, and children, raising the flag in defense of traditional values. News, research, and opinion are a part of each broadcast. Join us in the battle. Together, relying on the wisdom of eternal truths, we can rebuild the American family. Welcome to the home front. You're talking with Jane tonight and so glad to have you with us. We have a fantastic show packed with information as usual. But this uh, information is especially important, especially at this time of year when we have students returning home, uh, maybe having to fill their time and construct activities and interests. And we have students uh, getting ready to go off to college and experience a new level of independence that they're not used to. And so the things that we're going to talk about today apply to a lot of people. When you listen, if you're a voter, when we get to the end of the show, I think you're going to be surprised at how even without children in your home physically, as a voter, this is information that's very important to you. And we have a wonderful expert here to uh, help explain this, somebody who's been involved in sex education for many years, working with young people. Tonight, we're welcoming Valerie Huber, President and CEO of the National Abstinence Education Association. Welcome, Valerie. Hey, it's thank- it, thanks for having me. It's great to be with you, Jane. Great. Well, Valerie... You had uh, a very important presentation that this last week, and uh, I'd like you to at least give us a bullet view of that because we're, in this first segment we're going to probably want to introduce three or four things to follow up on. But the policy paper really addresses something that is being used in this political season, and I expect we're going to hear more about it uh, moving up to the election. Uh, can you give us the topic of the paper and uh, explain what that paper was covering? We will come back to it in the last segment and uh, give people more information on how to actually see the whole presentation. Sure. I think you're probably referring to the policy lecture uh, that I presented this, this, this week at uh, the Family Research Council entitled Collateral Damage in the War on Women debate, and it's really talking about how abstinence education is being caught in the crosshairs Mm -hmm. of that whole exchange, and the ones who are suffering the most as a result are those young women who it's supposedly designed to help. Right. And this idea of the war on women uh, seems very uh, desirable for a liberal party, uh, pointing their fingers at conservatives and policies in abortion, contraception, religion. But the actual war on women starts when these women are girls in school and sex education is the target. Now, Valerie, you work in Washington, D.C. and get to see a lot of the and participate in a lot of the dialogue about sex education with our legislators, our senators and congressmen. 
Uh, can you give us an idea of the funding disparity, uh, why we need you in Washington and how this bounces back to us as voters and people who pay taxes outside of Washington? Sure. Well, that's a really good question, um, and I'm glad you brought it up because the policies that are made in Washington, D.C., have a trickle-down effect mm-hmm. not only to the states but to the local communities. And so when President Obama took office, uh, one of the, f- the very first budget that he sent to Congress eliminated all sexual risk avoidance, uh, formerly called abstinence education programs, and in doing so, uh, he made an unprecedented policy move uh, that no other president, regardless of party, had made, and that was putting 100% of the federal emphasis in sex education away from an approach that would best help young people avoid all risk. Mm-hmm. And so if you fast forward to today, about 85% of all the, the monies in the federal budget for sex education are devoted to approaches that are not putting uh, the highest emphasis on helping young people wait or if they're already sexually active to uh, make a healthier choice in the future, which we know they're very open to based mm-hmm. on the research. Now, we have addressed abstinence education many times on the show, but we can still have people that are new to us and may have formed an opinion about abstinence education that uh, is not really accurate. I like the fact that the National Abstinence Group has uh, found a way to describe actually what the approach is and the significance of the approach by using SRA. Can you explain that terminology? And then I'd like to follow it up with maybe a little example to help clarify it for listeners. Sure. Well, the reason that we really don't like using the term abstinence uh, education and we like even less the term abstinence only, mm-hmm. because after all, that's an uh, appendage given to our programs by our opponents to try to make it sound like it's a just say no approach, right. but we really don't even like the the term abstinence that well, simply because, as you mentioned, there's so much baggage attached to that mm-hmm. term, and a lot of people think that they know what our programs teach uh, just based on the sound bites and, and mm-hmm. the um, kind of acerbic conversation uh, around the sex education battle. So we decided to look at how uh, public health... Um, addresses other risks, especially risks related to, uh, to teens. And we found mm-hmm. that for a, a population-wide effort, there's always a risk avoidance of uh, view. Mm-hmm. And so can I just give you an example? That would be wonderful. Yeah. So I think the one that probably has uh, had the most success has been um, the anti-smoking campaign. Right where the dominant cultural message is um, don't smoke, and if you do, quit. Now, of course, the message doesn't begin and end there. There are then steps to help uh, the smoker uh, move toward a more risk-free behavior regarding Mm -hmm. that and and reasons and ways to avoid smoking in the first place. Mm -hmm. But the 
But it's really important to note that on a public health um, population-wide message, that message is is very consistent, and mm-hmm. it's not just the Surgeon General giving that message, but it's broadly communicated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what makes it even more stunning is that when you look at the, the percentage of adults in America who were smoking when this campaign began, it's roughly parallel to the number of or the percentage of teens who are sexually active. So mm-hmm. those who think that a risk avoidance approach is unrealistic need only look at the success of the anti-smoking campaign to see that this is a um, a, a very not only a healthy message, but one that is very attainable, as as we could see from the anti-smoking campaign, that actually changed the cultural norms related right. to that behavior. So we thought, uh, if if this is an approach that's being used for virtually every other risk behavior by the public health community and organizations like the CDC and mm-hmm. local health departments, then wouldn't it make sense? for us to also use that very same approach when we're talking about teen sex, which is, after all, uh, every bit as risky as any of the other risk behaviors that are currently um, being addressed using that approach. Well, we're going to, on our next segment when we come back, spell out a little bit in more detail a couple of things about this method, sexual risk avoidance, SRA, which is a way of describing the method of abstinence education and the rationale for it. I do think that this is so important for people to grasp because a lot of the politics that's involved in all this funding is directed toward discouraging us, just like Valerie was describing, uh, leading us to believe that it's totally impossible. We have a whole bunch of kids out there that just need to have sex, that want to have sex, and there's no way we can dissuade them. And we have some good news for you on the next segment when we return about that. Stick with us. We're talking with Valerie Huber from the National Abstinence Education Association. We'll be giving you her contact information and we'll give you information on how you can see that presentation uh, that she made and referenced earlier in the show. You're talking with Jane from the home front. We're at KFNX 1100 AM Independent Talk. See you in a minute. Eleven hundred KFNX.com. Hey, baby, there ain't no easy way out. Hey, I will stand my ground and I won't back down. Welcome back. The Home Front, you're talking with Jane, and we're spending time with Valerie Huber, the President and CEO of the National Abstinence Education Association. They're located in Washington, D.C., and do a lot of work in uh, getting research out to the public, but per, uh, particularly to the legislators, those people that are funding sex education in our country. Welcome back, Valerie. Thanks for having me. I would like to give people an idea of where their tax dollars are going and why. And 
why this is uh, so significant. We have a five-year reauthorization of a program at $75 million per year that goes out to states to help them teach our children about sex. And this this type of education, by and large, does not follow this sex risk avoidance strategy. And we're going to unpack that just a little bit more. Valerie, can you give us uh, maybe in your work the, the funding, the levels of money that are being directed towards sex education or end up in the pockets of uh, programs around the country? Sure. Well, um, we see quite a disparity, as I mentioned before mm-hmm. the break. And there are four major programs that are federally funded, two that are sexual risk avoidance programs and two that are sexual risk reduction mm-hmm. programs or what some people call so-called comprehensive sex education right. programs. But in addition to that, uh, there are a number of other funding streams such as Medicaid and Title X mm-hmm. and uh, some some AIDS education funding and a, and a host of others mm-hmm. where there are small pieces of that total funding pot that goes to sexual risk reduction programs. But for a moment, let's just talk about the four that are specifically and only used for sex education. So we have uh, the Title V Abstinence Education Program, which is a state block grant that was um, first begun under the Welfare Reform Act in mm-hmm. uh, 1996 under President Clinton. That is $50 million that is distributed uh, to states across the country, and it's up to the governor to decide whether or not uh, abstinence education will be taught in that state using those funds. Then there's a very small uh, funding stream called the Competitive Abstinence Education Program, and that's only $5 million, which in terms of federal funding doesn't go very far, mm-hmm. but, it's, but it is stretched right. uh, by nonprofit organizations a lot. By contrast, there is the PrEP program, which is a sexual risk reduction state block grant that goes to states across the country. And then there is um, the Teen Pregnancy Prevention, or TPP, funding mm-hmm. stream, which goes to community organizations across the country to the tune of about $100 million. So we're looking just at, if we look at just those four mm-hmm. programs, we're looking at $55 million for sexual risk avoidance or abstinence education mm-hmm. programs and $175 million for sexual risk reduction or so-called comprehensive sex education programs. Now, we've talked about the the difference between these two programs uh, on other shows, and we touched on it in our first segment. But I would like to um, address the notion you used the example of uh, tobacco and smoking, the concerted effort we made it, in the country, both through federal dollars, also through media. People who were making entertainment decided that they were not going to show their character smoking on television. 
uh, public advertising warning labels. So we really went all out to discourage and help people stop smoking. I want to take that campaign that we had for smoking and suggest what if we had changed it and said, well, we can't really ever achieve this. So instead of trying to eliminate the risk or avoid the risk, we're just going to kind of try to manage the risk. So since you're already addicted to cigarettes, uh, we could not expect you to have a cessation program and stop smoking. So we're just going to ask you to get cigarettes with filters. Imagine if we had taken that soft peddling approach to smoking, uh, how successful, how that would Im- have impacted our success. And this is the very nature of what Valerie is talking about with these two approaches to sex education. I know we talk about it on each show, but I, it's so difficult to undo the PR damage that has been put out there. And this notion that comprehensive programs cover abstinence is really a very inadequate or, at worst, a very deceptive statement. Valerie, can you take that word comprehensive as it's applied to sex education and talk about some of the things that parents and uh, adults and even young people and college students need to be aware of when they're told, oh, this is a comprehensive program, we, we do it all? Well, this is where the danger of sound bites mm-hmm. uh, being used for setting policy can be very dangerous mm-hmm. because those who promote sexual risk reduction or so-called comprehensive sex education say that theirs is a very holistic approach that puts an emphasis on abstaining or waiting mm-hmm. for sex, but recognizing that many students won't be abstinent, they also uh teach about contraception. Well, on its face, uh, few would disagree with that approach, mm-hmm. but it's when you look at the curriculum, the context for their discussion, and how accurate their summary really is, mm-hmm. uh, then, you, then a totally different picture comes to, um, comes to the forefront, because comprehensive sex ed programs give minimal lip service to the sexual risk avoidance or abstinence approach. They may mention it in an obligatory statement that Mm -hmm. abstinence is the only way to avoid pregnancy. Mm -hmm. But there is very little, if any, skill building to that. And Mm -hmm. most of the skill building is to for condom negotiation skills between partners, oftentimes condom demonstration um, exercises and condom distribution, and it is painting an inaccurate picture uh, for teens that risky sexual experimentation is fine mm-hmm. as long as um, there's consent and a condom. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, in fact, the, the research and even the CDC tells us that's simply not the case. And so we shouldn't be surprised when uh Teens say in shock, but I used a condom, so why do I have an STD? Right. And we, and we know that at best it addresses uh, and reduces the risks of some of the physical consequences, mm-hmm. but has no impact whatsoever 
on some of the other consequences of teen sex. Right. Uh, I think, too, the notion of risk is minimized because so many times uh, we take the risks associated with teen sex and reduce them to not getting pregnant and not getting HIV. I know in the 80s, uh, the big push to promote condoms came from the HIV epidemic that came at us unexpectedly and uh, is so dangerous. But there are many, many other risks. There are so many different STDs with different consequences. And it's a world of, of risk that is it's very difficult for even adults to understand. And to put condoms or some kind of technique in the hands of children and say, here, this will protect you, uh, is such a disservice. And our young girls, Valerie, were the subject of your War on Women paper. In our next segment, when we come back, I'd like for you to take uh, time to address how this is really hurting the young women in our country, uh, this messaging that's going on about sex education, our reticence to actually advocate for sexual abstinence, and our lack of confidence that uh, students and young people can actually maintain sexual abstinence outside of marriage. I'm so glad you're listening with us, and we are going to be back after this break with Valerie Huber. More on sex education, protecting our kids at 1100 KFNX Independent Talk. Stick around. Independent Talk, 1100 KFNX. Welcome. You're at the home front of an important battle. The American family is under assault. Eternal truths and understandings about family and marriage are being burned at the stake. Common sense is no longer common. Traditional values are being attacked as old-fashioned, obsolete, and irrelevant. Join us in the battle. Share, learn, and teach, adding your voice to the dialogue. Today at the home front. Welcome back to the home front. You're talking with Jane, and I am joined by Valerie Huber. She is the president and CEO of National Abstinence Education Association, located in Washington, D.C. Welcome back, Valerie. I'm glad to be back. Glad to be talking about this with you tonight. It's really, um, you have so, your hands are on the pulse of what happens in D.C. that impacts so many of us. So I'm so appreciative that you're taking the time with us. I want to encourage parents. I know we've done it on other shows, and Valerie, you might want to um, add to it. But the first give up message that we get in the culture is give up, parents. You can't do this. Kids are all having sex anyway. Uh, there's no way you can impact their behavior. And yet the truth is in the sexually charged climate where they're given all sorts of permission and they're given all these lightweight messages of try it if as long as you use a condom in spite of all of that more than 50 percent of our young people have not had sex are not having sex and they are an important audience that we can speak to 
And there are kids that are turning around, that are making changes in their behavior because of what they're learning. Valor, do you want to comment on that? Yeah, first to to the uh, statistics that you cited, I, I I would not be surprised if many in your audience um, ex- would expect that the number of teens having sex would have increased over the past 20 years simply because our culture is becoming increasingly sexualized. Mm-hmm. However, um, the opposite is the case. In the U.S., over the past 20 years, there's been a 7 percentage point increase in the number of high school students who are choosing to avoid sex. Um, In 1991, about 46% of students chose abstinence, and in 2011, which are the numbers that we have most currently, 53% of those students chose to wait for sex. Mm -hmm. Now, are those numbers as high as we'd like them? Of course not. But the fact that they have moved in a positive direction in the course of those 20 years, that's astounding. It really is truly amazing. My dad was a lifelong smoker, and um, he was never able to give it up. But I know that I had that give-up mentality about smoking. I thought, you're just never going to make any inroads and look at all the effort we put behind getting people to move away from smoking and here these kids are making movement in a healthy direction without any encouragement at all and in many ways uh, the culture is very derisive and has a put-down attitude that um, the really mature people who are with it and know how to do it right are being sexually active. And children and teens and adolescents are looking at that message and saying, I'm not having it. And that's that's amazing to me. It is. When you think of the, the typical message in the culture, it's mm-hmm. one that normalizes teen sex mm-hmm. and, as you said, even applauds it. Mm-hmm. But then when you also look at the, the message that is in so many sex education classes, mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing the very same message. And mm-hmm. then on top of that, uh, many parents feel uh, inept, maybe a little nervous, or maybe even hypocritical if they were to encourage their own children to be sexually mm-hmm. abstinent as teens because maybe they weren't. And so you have all of these compounding uh, influences that are either silent or normalizing teen sexual mm-hmm. experimentation, and yet they're making a healthier choice. Right. Think, think of what those numbers would be if all of those touch points mm-hmm. would be giving the message, giving the encouragement and the skills mm-hmm. uh, to help teens wait. You, right. you can only imagine right. what a change that would affect. I do believe that we'll get there one day, and that's why we're here talking with you. So I'm so glad that we've got this time to devote to it. You have a, a SRA, a risk avoidance uh, certification training program that is available. And this is one opportunity for parents, uh, school officials, health officials who really maybe are interested in this point of view but but still can't get their mind wrapped about it. This kind of training is really helpful. It's very in-depth, 
And contrary to all the politicking that has taken place uh, to sabotage abstinence education, this training is totally evidence-based. It is medically accurate. It's based on scientific data and sexual health data and best practices for public health officials. So can you introduce us to the SRA training programs and certification that you're offering? And then um, if we run into our music here, we'll just continue this on the other side of the break. That sounds good. So the SRAS um, is a is a credentialing program for those who are especially interested in being educators uh, in the school or in the community. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, we often have people who don't go through the whole training process, don't take all of the tests, and but just show up to get the information mm-hmm. so they can more effectively advocate on behalf of their their own children. Uh, if they want to get involved in the public policy realm, mm-hmm. particularly in their state and their community, we give them communication skills, uh, research, uh, evidence, and all kinds of tools so that they can not only feel confident, but truly be competent to speak with authority and to be the sex education experts mm-hmm. in their community. Uh, we think that this could could affect a sea change in right. our in our communities as a result, and we would like to have this training in every single state, uh, including yours. I noticed that you've got trainings coming up, and it is the summer. People are moving around and maybe even have some time off from work. This happens in our house sometimes where we've got vacation time, but we didn't really come up with a plan. So... Uh, we have two that I see on the, the website right now, and if you have others, you might mention them. Can you give us uh, the locations and dates of any of your trainings? Uh, if not, I can read these two off of the screen here. Why don't you do that? Okay. Because I know that we have about six of them coming up, and not okay. all of them are on our website yet. I only see the two, and um, people can get in touch with you, so don't worry about it. But if you're going to be in Pennsylvania, I know my husband's going to be up there this summer, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. There is a certification class in July, at the end of July, going into August. July 31st through August 1st, and one in northwest Indiana. That one is uh, after school starts in October, October 7th and 8th. Valerie's mentioned that she's got a couple of others that are on the schedule. So, um, how, Valerie, how would they get in touch with the NAEA and learn about these other programs? Yes, I think there are four or five more that are we are finalizing them, mm-hmm. and, and they may be finalized as early as next week. So we encourage anyone who's interested in learning more to uh, email NAEA at info at org. Say you're interested in learning more about the SRAS uh, training, and my assistant will make sure uh, to let you know as soon as these others are official and hopefully uh, get you signed up so that you can be an advocate for your children and for the uh, health of young people across the country. Okay, and um, on my website, I do have contact points for Valerie, her author's bio, and you can find that on fromthehomefront.org. 
fromthehomefront.org. And uh, Valerie, do you have a phone number that people can write down if they have a pencil handy, uh, if they find that easier? Sure. It's 202-248-5420. That's area code 202-248-5420. And that brings directly to our Washington, D.C. office. And we um, really like to help uh, particularly parents who want to be the primary sex educators of their children mm-hmm. or assure that um, healthy sex education is a part of the health classes in their children's school. Great. Well, we're going to come up uh, to a break in just a few seconds. So we're going to come back to the SRA training because uh, there are schools in our community and I'm sure around the country where uh, they have funds or a way to arrange a training. So maybe one of these won't work for you, but you could work with the NAEA to bring one to your community. And uh, when we come back, we're going to ask Valerie, what are some of the things that the training touches on and what would you learn and how would that be valuable for your your community? This is Jane from thehomefront.org at KFNX 1100 AM. Stick with us one more time, and we'll see you on the other side of the break. KFNX.com Welcome back. You're talking with Jane from the Home Front, and we are joined by Valerie Huber. She's the president and CEO of the National Abstinence Education Association, located in Washington, D.C. And on this last segment, we're going to talk about a wonderful training that is offered. Uh, we've talked a lot about abstinence education, but it takes a lot of talking about it to really undo some of the mistaken notions that are out there and actually open up the the vast quantity of information that is available once we start to really consider risk, the importance of avoiding risks, and strategies for getting that message out there. Welcome again, Valerie. Thanks for having me back. Um, on the SRA training, the risk avoidance training that helps students choose the healthiest option, which is to avoid sexual activity outside of marriage, especially while they're young and their bodies are forming and they need to give their attention to other important activities like getting an education. You are creating a training for adults that are working with kids to help promote this message. But it's more than just opinion. It's more than religion. It's more than a bias. It actually has its feet in the scientific world with good information. If somebody were to bring an SRA training to my community, to their own community, what kinds of skills and information would they uh be presented with in an SRA certification class? I think it's important that your listeners recognize that 
we're not talking about a specific curriculum mm-hmm. that someone can take into the classroom and teach to teens. Okay. This, S- this SRAS is more foundational than that. Mm-hmm. It's designed to equip the professional, the parent, the policymaker with a, with a really uh, basic understanding of the research surrounding um, teen sex, the history of sex education in America beginning around World War One, which is when the federal government first got involved in this effort, mm-hmm. um, what kind of best practices uh, help predict success when implementing a program in school, mm-hmm. how to communicate uh, this message so that you can have broad partnerships within your community mm-hmm. and that you can um, have a willingness of, of schools to uh, endorse and, and teach this. Understanding what kind of research and data are out there, what kind of trends are there for teens, like the information I shared just a few minutes ago mm-hmm. showing that the trends are moving in the right direction. And then we spend time, too, looking at uh, what are these? What does the data tell us about the state where we're providing that SRAS? Mm-hmm. Um, what are the um, laws pertaining to uh, sexual consent um, and uh, other related issues, particularly in that state? Are there some things that are moving in the right direction? Are there some things moving in the wrong direction? The reason it's important to know that is because then you know in your community what kind of things need to specifically be targeted. Mm -hmm. We spend a lot of time, too, with communication skills uh, because oftentimes we have the passion and the desire Mm -hmm. uh, to promote this message and to protect our children. But if we don't know how to communicate it in the right way, Mm -hmm. uh, it can fall on deaf ears. And sometimes we forget that just speaking in terms that the proverbial choir can understand can't really increase the market share um, Mm -hmm. among the general population. And so we need to be able to communicate in a way that's not only understandable, but um, communicates in such a way that those who really don't know this issue say, you know, that's exactly what I want my children to hear and to learn. Now, you have a chance to do this all the time in a very... I'm so impressed with your work. I did attend uh, a day for abstinence on the Hill in Washington, D.C. several years ago. Got to talk with a couple of legislators. And I know how difficult that is if they are firmly set against bringing abstinence education to a school or funding it. What do you find are some effective messages when you are working with legislators maybe across the aisle uh, that at least opens the dialogue for them? Yeah, that's a really good question. And before I give a summary to that, I'd like Mm -hmm. to direct your your listeners to our website, Mm -hmm. thenaea.org, and there's a tab called Resources. Under there we have um, a summary of what are the typical things that people don't understand correctly about uh, SRA abstinence education, mm-hmm. and how 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 can you respond in a way that reflects uh, an accurate depiction of this approach? So, uh, your listeners can get a lot of good information there. There's also a resource. 
that is Alice's uh, parents' toolkit, mm-hmm. and it kind of gives a step-by-step approach to um, how to either replace bad sex education in your school or make sure that um, a healthy sex education is in your school. It kind of gives a step-by-step uh, roadmap, mm-hmm. who to approach, what to say, if 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 the first thing that you try doesn't work, then what's a more effective way of communicating? All summarizing the research and and uh, the data supporting this. Okay. So now uh, we have probably just um, just about two or three minutes. We're coming up toward the end of the show. Uh, can you pick maybe one or two of your favorite conversations? Uh, that you think are uh, effective in working with somebody to help them understand? Sure. I'll give an example of just this week. Um, Mm -hmm. Just yesterday I had a meeting with a very liberal office on Capitol Hill. Mm -hmm. Uh, I won't give you the name of of the member of Congress, but most people would, would recognize this name. And we probably don't agree on a whole lot of uh, of, of issues, but we had a really reasoned conversation about this, and and it was very obvious early on that um, the the people in this office had never heard an accurate description of what an SRA abstinence program provides, and mm-hmm. in fact, this person actually said, "You are the very first person to ever come to this office." supportive of abstinence education, which I think is a real shame. Yes. Uh, but in addition to that, um, this person asked questions about, does abstinence education work? And I was happy to give them um, our Abstinence Works document, which is also available online. Mm-hmm. And when people see that there are actually 23 peer-reviewed studies, independent peer-reviewed studies, these aren't things, these aren't studies we did, but are were um, conducted by university researchers or mm-hmm. independent independent research organizations that show that. SRA programs are effective. They mm-hmm. help young people wait to have sex. Uh, for those who are sexually active already, it helps them make a healthier choice. And for those who go on to be sexually active, they're no less likely to use contraception. Right. Um, most people don't know that. Right. And that is very compelling when they learn that information. Mm-hmm. And I think the wonderful thing about it is that those students and young people already who are choosing sexual abstinence are getting reinforced. They're not feeling like uh, that they're having to hide this choice from people and they get some reinforcement. They may intuitively know that it's a good choice but they're actually getting some good, solid backing for why this is going to make their future happier. Valerie, thank you so much for spending time with us. And anybody who is looking to get in touch with an abstr- uh, NAEA, remember it's the NEA. Uh, I, I think I messed that up. Valerie, why didn't you do it? <laughs> it's... It's the NAEA.org. There we go. And I have all those links on my website from the homefront.org. 
please get in touch with them, look at their materials, and grow in your understanding of this very important issue. Thanks for being with us. This is Jane from the Home Front, 1100 AM KFNX Independent Talk. Thanks for joining us.